Anthony, do you want to do? Know, do you know what this podcast is about? <laughs> of course, I know what this podcast Tell is me, about. Okay. Do you know enough to do the intro? Hi, my name's Anthony Barquette. No, we're no, not there that's yet. Not no. the part yet. <laughs> not that part. No, that's all you can guys you, allow me to do, though. Can you, <laughs> do you can know? Introduce what the podcast is about. Three, two, one, go. Political playlist is a nonpartisan podcast that talks about young politicians under forty-five. We're here to tell you the gossip, the news, what's happening this week, and what we're going to do. Let's get rolling. The political revolution of the millennials. Welcome to Political, political Playlist. <laughs> All right. Are you ready, guys? Happy hour. Happy, Happy hour. hour. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. He stuck. Pretty- <laughs> I stuck the landing. <laughs> I that almost ran great. out of breath. I almost. I really loved how your voice went up and you went really high there and energetic. Michael, please put that, that in with good. like all the stuff before. Shit. Yeah, oh, sure. Great. 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 <laughs> all right. Perfect. Let's go. Hey, everybody. <laughs> you know who we are. What's up? This is Political Playlist Happy Hour. How we doing? Doing well. Doing fine. Dandy. Cheers. What are we drinking? What's on our spirit. mind here, people? I'll go first. I'm drinking... A glass of white wine in a glass. Do you want to know what my glass is? I just want Live, to drink. love, literature. No, wow. no. But got it at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> no, but it's almost as bad as that. I just want to drink Christmas cocktails and hug my dog. That's literally I mean, what my glass says. This is very fitting. on brand. But what's on my mind, I have something really specific, actually, that I want to bring up. So we interviewed a young gentleman named William Hay a couple Mm. weeks ago who started an organization called Dream for America, which is a progressive Gen Z organization kind of trying to build like a grassroots digital presence. And it was so interesting on the tail end. We were supposed I was posting some clips on Instagram of it. And on the tail end, I noticed that all of a sudden I couldn't tag them. And I was like, oh, that's so odd. And their page like wasn't there. It was very strange. Mm. And then today I discovered that people had been reporting their Instagram for being basically for like talking about how anti-Semitism was on the rise. And so what Mm. I gathered is that they are they call themselves a pro-Biden group. So they Mm. are perhaps in this instance aligning themselves with his principles around standing by Israel Again, I'm sure there's nuance in whether that's the Israeli government, the Israeli people, whatever. That's, you know, still up for debate. But but what I gathered is that there were probably specifically in Gen Z, a lot of people who are, you know, not feeling great about what's happening in Palestine, which most of us are not, despite what your views are. And people went as far to report their page for being too pro-Israel, too pro you know, Jewish state talking too much about the rise of anti-Semitism. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to speak out of turn. I don't know all the details, but I just they posted something that said their page had been reported. And that was why they were untaggable. And the conclusion of this is they had to restart their entire Instagram presence. And it just kind of bummed me out because it felt like this is an organization, specifically if you're a young liberal person, a young Democrat, a young progressive, this is an organization that is really trying to do something new for that generation. And they came about as a direct response to Turning Point, which is a conservative group that does this very well. And it just, it bummed me out because it was like, here's a young person, he's literally 16 years old, trying 
to do something active and make a difference. And whether you agree with his particular politics or how he's kind of identifying the word progressive or whatever, there was nothing hateful, at least from the things that I had seen. I think it's more just expressing a certain point of view. But because they're a Gen Z organization and they had obviously a lot of Gen Z followers, I think it garnered enough attention that they ended up having to completely restart their Instagram presence, which anyone who has tried to do this before knows that's not an easy thing to do. So it was on wow. my mind and it was just How kind of a bummer. How have we not been reported? I don't know. I guess <laughs> that I don't, know. I don't have enough Gen Zers, angry Gen Zers. Or we're not controversial out. enough. I mean, I don't folks, know, Michael, let's step it up rain here. it in. Rain it okay, in. Let me can just you tell say. Me, could, it, could I actually tell you what's on my mind? Because this okay. really pisses me sure. off. And I. Great. So I live in Denver and I. I actually high as a kite. High as a kite. I don't high as a kite. I don't have a car, so I Uber to work every morning, and it's significantly less than buying a car. For anyone who's asking. For anyone who's asking, it's also really want to know what your Uber One status is. You're probably Diamond Plus. Well, I'm not. I'm kind of low. But so here's my issue: is you have preferences in there, like. Air conditioning, don't talk to me, whatnot. I can't I can already guess what your puts, settings Anthony are. always puts, don't talk to me. I can't tell you how chatty people are in Denver. And it's honestly oh, getting on my boy. nerves where I check my preferences multiple times oh. to make sure. I've actually written a note to Uber asking them this because every wow. morning I get. Who wants so, to be Anthony's friend uh, after this friend? Wow. So you, you want, you're going into work and I'm like, you're uh, like, how did you guess? You are literally Clint Eastwood from Gran Torino. Like, this is incredible. Yeah, or or just like, like, hey, y'all know from Denver, eh? Literally any, like, middle-aged man. I'm not a middle-aged man. Thank you very much. Okay. sorry, you're an angry millennial. Okay, I'll take it. How, at what point point are you going to start getting into the Uber with AirPods on and just, like, have a full-on fake phone conversation? Like, you're you're, you're just I've done it. I've done it and I'm starting <laughs> okay, to do it. We're more. there. So, yeah, Got we're it. there. I'm like, sorry, it. I'm on the phone. Sorry, I can't hear yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, that'll shut him up. Wow. Yeah. I do think, I do think, I do, like, as someone who loves to chat, I do think that sometimes Uber drivers can be a little too chatty. I would, yes. I would agree. This yeah. is a, this is a bit of pot calling the kettle black, but I agree. <laughs> Guys, let me tell you what's on my mind. Okay. Yeah. Everybody get it, ready. It rhymes with a one Lieutenant Liz. I'm talking about Liz Cheney. Oh, Liz Cheney. And I'm referring to as Lieutenant because she was the number three person in the house. How quickly we forget. This was the conservative of conservative, (laughs) like rising stars, leadership position, et cetera. And is she a daughter of anyone? I she she has a famous a father. Big old big old dick. Yeah. The guy <laughs> he was the guy from that movie with with Christian Bale. And so I bring up Liz Cheney right now for a couple of things. She's on a book tour right now. Obviously, she this is a woman who, you know, if you don't know by now, you actually haven't been watching what's happening in in political current events, but she effectively was kicked out of Congress. Ooh, what a and, burn to people who <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> tough talk. Lost a couple um, listeners there. They're like, oh, yeah. fuck this guy. You know, she obviously lost her seat in Congress through election. She has been defiantly standing up for what she has been raising the alarm bells on, which is the 
potential demise of democracy as we know it. And I want to read a couple of things that she said because I think it's worth noting. She was asked if she thought Donald Trump would refuse to leave office if reelected again. And without skipping a beat, she said there's no question that if he's reelected again, he will not leave office. And I know this because he tried it once and failed, and he has said that he will do it again. And she has said, quote, I believe this would be the end of democracy as we know it. So, you know, things to point out here are the fact that Donald Trump is, in fact, empirically the only president in the history of this country who has lost an election and actively tried to stay in office. You know, that has never happened before to the extent that we saw after the 2020 election. And I think what is so interesting here and and an interview that I would recommend everyone watch because it's a really great conversation. It's kind of a fun one. I'm not particularly a, a big Rachel Maddow fan or or I mean, I'm a fan, but I don't really watch her show. And so she had on Liz Cheney. And these are two people who could not be more different on the political spectrum. And the whole prelude, the whole opening segment of Rachel Maddow's show was talking about their ideological differences. And she said, you know, but today we're putting those aside because there's a bigger thing at stake, and that's mm-hmm. democracy. And these two women came on, and they were joking. They were like, please, can we have our ideological debate once we save democracy? And Liz mm-hmm. Cheney was like, I can't wait to come back on the show. There's so much I want to argue about, but this mm-hmm. is more important. And it was this amazing moment for two reasons. One, it, it was it was so scary that this is how a devout conservative, absolute died in the wool red Republican Liz Cheney feels about the state of our democracy right now and what is at stake. And the other sort of glimmer of hope that I gained from it was like, this is exactly how our political discourse should be is like Mm -hmm. these two people who would can't wait to go on the attack and, and, and debate the issues in, in a reasonable way. But they're saying, no, 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 this is at the end of the day, we pledge allegiance to the flag. And, and the rule book for this is, is the constitution, Mm -hmm. which is now. So I just, I, I recommend anybody, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a Liz Cheney fan or a Rachel Maddow fan, or neither. Check out this interview. It's it's really good, and I think the substance of it is paramount right now. Well, mm-hmm. I fall in the neither category. So yeah, I'll check it <laughs> neither. out. Okay. It's <laughs> kind of the best way to watch it. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, let's move on to the news. Let's do it. What the hell is happening in the world, people? I have one thing to say to you. Oh, oh God. Yes. Kevin McCarthy is about to go on an all-inclusive resort vacation <laughs> with George Santos, I'm convinced. Is, I, is Ted Cruz going to be there? Are they going to Mexico? No, because Ted Cruz is going to stay in office until he either like dies well, or... I, he's still in office, but is he going to... He still goes on vacation. No, this is... No, this is a cruise or, you know, all-inclusive Mexico, whatever, or down to Brazil where George Santos, you know, has all his family or yeah. whatnot. Only for people who are no longer going to be in Congress because Kevin McCarthy has decided, so decided to leave Congress. I think this is actually really sad and bad. So, and I and I'm saying this. Look, he can rhyme. 
It's sad and it's bad. And I'm hey, kind of mad. Anthony, what do we do here again? <laughs> no, so the fact that we have some of these big congressional leaders just pretty much saying they're fed up with it is not a good sign. And Skip- sorry, just to really interrupt, because when you said congressional leaders, Patrick McHenry is also not running for re-election. Right. Who and that's Kevin's was buddy. Kevin McCarthy's buddy, who yeah. was the speaker pro tem or whatever. Um, I just wanted to interject because I forgot yeah, about that, that until you said that. That just shows you where our Congress is today. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm pretty scared about that when I saw that. I also thought Matt Gates had a hilarious tweet. It just said Mick leaving. Oh my god. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> I mean, Gates Gates he knows how to the frap. Bro, pledge fuckface really knows how to work a social media tweet. I, I gotta, I gotta say that was definitely his like pledge name, fuckface. Yeah, he, for sure. he looks like a fuckface. Um, Unlike this guy. Yeah, we can cut that. We're that's not this podcast. Um, is it not? I don't know. Maybe. We can all maybe agree we're leaving that it. Matt Gates is kind of a fuckface. Yeah. Well, what what is so interesting? Just a footnote on that. Just getting back to the Liz Cheney book. So apparently, she talks about in the book. Right after January the 6th, when Kevin McCarthy like came out, was like, this is this is, you know, treason and insurrection and was like denigrating Trump. Apparently, he was then getting calls from Trump's staff being like, Donald Trump isn't eating. He's really sad. Like, we need you to come down to. <laughs> he was come sad down and, and he was him? mad. And yeah. He felt and bad. so that was like the that was like the the impetus for Kevin McCarthy. Then three weeks later, going down and posing for the photo. And then just recently. Trump comes out on Truth Social and he goes, that is totally not true. I was not I was sad. eating McDonald's. And yeah, no, and he goes, was goes, I was actually eating way too much, but that's besides the point. It's like, wait, what? I get it. would be like a funny fat comment. They're like, yeah. you know it's bad when we've pushed two Big Macs in front of him and a large fry and he yeah. hasn't even Long looked at it. Right. You know? He's like, I don't want it. I don't. I can't even look at a Mac right now. Jesus the only Mac I can look at is named Kevin. Okay, so, well, can I give you guys my tweet? Yeah. Yes. Let's yeah, because, so this is a bit current events as I always do for myself. Current okay. events for myself because I'm going to Florida for a wedding. Oh, wow. So, is it at Mar-a-Lago? I do like, I <laughs> but it, it, I do like how Anthony always relates his tweets back to his personal life. It's very sweet. Yes, thank you. Specifically thank you. weddings. Weddings, like yeah. family, yeah. And this is also, I'm not going to tell you the state. I'm going to blank beep on the state here. Well, you just said so Florida. No, no, no. Florida? Florida is part of this. Is, Got it. But, um, so Florida tomato tycoons want to institute a new tomato tax. That's bad news for blank shoppers when grocery sh- prices are s- still high Ooh, this is good wait, what i'm sorry tomato tomato titans sounds like a weird so this is oliver segment or something this is somebody it, going after the big tomato this. industry this, this is, is great wait, wait, but i can't other... decide if it's the republican okay. or democrat i'm gonna give you a clue so the other reason it's I a republican because i think it's a very good politician that we have in Congress today that I would love to see continue on. And they're talking about a tax because a lot of tomatoes come from Mexico. So pick a state. Uh, oh. oh, this is good. I'm going to say. Texas? Yeah. August Fluger. Tony yeah. Gonzalez, Texas. It's not Texas. I'm still honestly, I'm very Tomato confused Titan. about the tweet. This, like, okay. I don't understand what. So they're basically saying there's a tax 
on tomatoes. And yeah, what does Florida have to do with this? So let me get into that. <laughs> so Okay, you can just say who it is. I'm honestly Ruben Gallego. Uh, he wasn't a Republican. That's why I was like, there's something yeah. democratic I didn't say about Republican. this. Yeah, and Michael, I didn't say but this is the thing. Michael thought it was a Republican, I think, because they yeah. were talking about prices, which is the kind of like drumbeat of Republicans now. So it's right. interesting that Gallego is talking about this. But okay. This is really interesting. And I think it'd go, I was just also in the grocery store yesterday. I was like, how is, I was like, bell peppers are $2 a piece. I, there's a great, there's a great arrested development quote where the, I, the mother is like, <laughs> I don't even know what a banana costs these days. Ten dollars. <laughs> what does a tomato cost? <laughs> so the Department of Commerce is considering terminating a tomato suspension agreement. Yes. Okay. This is great. Yes. I love this. I love this. Which is going. a trade agreement that has set fair prices for the sale <laughs> of imported tomatoes in the U.S. for the last 30 years. Unbelievable. So obviously, I like Setting the market ensures that there's stable prices all year round. So what does yeah. this have to do with Florida? <laughs> I'm I'm getting there. I'm sorry. Come I'm on. sorry. I'm honestly. Here's I'm the problem. Just, the Italians, okay. the Italians just, in Florida are I'm a handful. Stop. Let me talk. <laughs> a handful of rich tomato tycoons in Florida, known as the Florida Tomato Exchange, wow. are trying <laughs> to impose an unnecessary new tomato tax, which will increase of 21% of tomato imports. Okay. Wow. Pause. Just so I can... My, like, honestly, I'm not even joking. Like, I'm just confused. So, basically, what Gallego is saying is that the rich tomato people in Florida want to impose a tax so that it will be more expensive to import tomatoes and that then they will be richer because they're domestic tomatoes? So you got to go to Florida yeah. for the tomatoes. Well, they're got trying it. to get okay, rid okay. of... It's uh, with a lot of agriculture, there's actually stabilizing prices so they don't fluctuate yeah. so often throughout the year. Our family used to be in agriculture. This is actually something we try to do with almonds. Almonds have always very fluctuated. So it's great because it's consistent when you try and do this with okay. any sort of agriculture. So that's why people do it. But of course, if imported of anything goes up, people are going to buy less of it and they're going to buy more of the. And those prices will go up, but not substantially, right? Okay. So you're increasing your bottom line at some point uh, still. So like basically Ruben goes on to say this tomato tax will like for U.S. consumers increase by 52% for tomatoes. Wow. So I'm actually really interested. So, I mean, Anna, you probably look at this differently. I obviously got stuck by the rich tomato tycoons. And I was like, who are no, the I'm tomato types? Trust me, I'm stuck there yeah, I was, too. I feel like I we're like, in a Wes Anderson you, movie or something. And, and I was you like, know, and do, sometimes, do have, sometimes you find that tweet and you're like, it's like LeBron having a great game. He's like, he's like, yeah, man, like literally every shot I took, I just like nothing but net. And this is one of those episodes for Anthony where it's like every shot he t- he's like, he found the perfect tweet. He did the perfect improvised intro. Like, is there anything this kid can't do right now? I mean, I think here's my pitch. You run for board of governors of the tomato Titans. Oh my God. I'm I'm considering it, honestly, because I've looked into the rich tomato tycoons. One, I was interested if they have any daughters, granddaughters, or whatnot. Oh gosh. <laughs> but, yeah, okay. There's one guy in Florida, Paul J. DeMare. Okay. And I haven't Obviously looked up. Obviously Italian. Like, yeah. Yes. He's known as Mr. Tomato. 
This is incredible. And he's the largest this is like grower out of a Scorsese of movie. Yes, largest grower of fresh yeah. tomatoes in the U.S. And when I looked into this guy, he has been so influential in yeah. policy on the agriculture side. Okay. And in Florida, he's he actually like encourages people to vote, get out and vote. So he's he's been huge yeah. in politics throughout his career. He's and like, hey, get out and vote, get out and vote. Here's so a tomato. So he's basically okay. just vote trying Democrat. to get more people to buy tomatoes from Florida. Uh, honestly, this it, I, I'm not saying I'm against what he's doing. I'm totally under like understand what he's doing. And of course, if you're in his position, if this if but if the Department of Commerce is actually considering terminating this, you go, yeah, you should, and this is why. Right? And and this and just like to sort of ask a um, another question here on a serious note, um, can we get this guy on the show? Well, I'm going to so Probably. I'm going to Florida tomorrow. Yeah. Anthony's going to find him, Mr. Damari. And if I do, I'm getting him on the show. This yeah. is so it sounds like it sounds like this is all about not trying to get priced out by imported produce. No, I think I, I I think this is the exact type of area a farmer would look for and say, "Hey, the U.S. has always said let's bring more imports in. Let's do this." It's only beneficial no. when you go, no, let's just use what we have here. Right. Stop it. We'll start exporting if we are. But Ruben and is saying that if we do that, we're going to start uh, messing with the price stabilization of tomatoes. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Got it. And this is a 30, well, something that's you know. been there for 30 years. So pretty interesting to think about that. You know, it's something you would never think about when you go to the grocery store. By the All way, I say, just. Yeah, go ahead. All I'm going to say is, like, I'm definitely going to go look at the price of tomatoes and where they come from next time I go to the grocery store. Yeah, it would be the best tweet of the night. I just Googled yeah. Mr. Mm -hmm. Tomato, Florida, and I got an article on Paul Damari. Mm -hmm. And we're going to we're gonna link this on our Instagram because this is... For sure. Is, it's so wow, good. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Mr. Tomato. All right. Boston born and bred, FYI. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, right. Anthony, Anna, you got anything good? <laughs> yeah, mine is like yeah. way more intense. No, no I kind pressure. of, I kind of want to just end there because, like, yeah. now we're we're really gonna go kind of downhill here. Well, Sorry. I have one on oh. Ukraine. So, who's more uh, depressing? I don't do know. To, that's... Do you want me to use my Ukraine to ease into? I'd you? say start with Ukraine because that's gonna be a bit. No, my okay. Anna, okay. Anna, wants, Anna, to, has Anna to wants to go. No, yeah. it's ladies fine. First, I just feel like first. mine is gonna like be like stirring, and I okay. All right, yeah. stir us, stir us like okay. a martini. I'm sorry, but is not stirring that your tomatoes might no, go up fifty percent at the so, distance? I'm so I, stirred like, by that. Stirred. I can't you even like tell salsa? You. Do you like? I love I'm salsa. I'm stirred like yeah. a salsa. You know what the ravioli is gonna cost for next Sunday? This is <laughs> insane. Yeah, we're having eggplant parm. Oh shoot, my video went away. We're oh, having boy. eggplant parm for Christmas, so I got to tell you my really? mom to get Is that a thing? Love eggplant parm. Is, yeah, like a, is this a musky Goldwyn tradition? Yeah, we do eggplant parm really? um, and salad. And actually, well, you know you're supposed to not have meat on Christmas Eve. I know you're supposed to have fish. Right. And so we do we do fish soup on. We're not Italian, by the way. We just do this, but we do fish soup and then eggplant parmesan and salad. Wow. Okay, yeah. next week we're going to talk about Christmas traditions. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Well, I'll hold, I'll hold. <laughs> okay, here we go. This is actually not a tweet, but a statement Oh, from two politicians, a joint statement. Oh, boy. Here we go. Harvard ranks last out of 248 universities for support of free speech. 
But when it comes to denouncing anti-Semitism, suddenly the university has anxieties about the First Amendment. It rings hollow. Wait, ranks sinking? It ranks last. In free speech? For support of free speech. Oh, wow. Meaning they don't support it. I've known people who go to Harvard and they say there's actually too much free speech. That's the issue. Whatever. We're not here to argue. Is this Elise Stefanik? Uh -uh. Uh-uh. A Republican? No. Did they go to Harvard? Ooh. Both of them went to Harvard. Oh. Richie Torres? No. No, no. Oh, God. I think I like just saw this tweet too. Oh, man. Let me just tell you. Uh, You're going to... You're gonna like need a second, Michael, because I know this. I know this, and and it's one of your faves. Oh, you got fifty percent. Seth Moulton and Auchincloss. Uh huh. Good job. Yeah. Um, Boston boys. You know what I mean. So they're both. They're both. Massachusetts Oh my god, dude. Yeah, they love tomatoes. There. They're both Massachusetts representatives. They both went to Harvard, and they both served in the military too. Actually, but. I'm just going to run through kind of what happened in case people are not aware of what is going on with a hearing that just happened in Congress. So there was a hearing with Harvard President Claudine Gay, Penn President Liz McGill, and MIT President Sally Kornbluth. Also, would just like to note, very interesting, that all of them are women, the presidents mm. of these prestigious universities. So basically, the hearing was to ask questions about disciplinary actions towards students regarding acts of anti-Semitism on campus. Mm. It is important to note, as these presidents did, and as I will note right now, that there are also a lot, there's a big rise in Islamophobia on campuses as well. So just disclaimer right off the bat. Yes, we so don't want to go the about, way of uh, Dream America and get reported here. Yeah, but <laughs> but what we're talking about here is the distinction specifically between combating anti-Semitism while protecting free speech. And you said Elise Stefanik, because if you are aware of this hearing at all, you probably have seen clips of Elise yep. Stefanik, who was very... Who is heated, a Harvard grad, by the way. Who is also a Harvard yeah. grad, New York representative, Republican, very heated talking about this. So what she was pressing specifically about is something I want to talk about this because I was not clear exactly on what it is. And I think there might be a lot of other people who are not clear either. What is the definition of intifada, which mm. literally in Arabic right. translates as rebellion or uprising for resistance or a resistance movement specifically against oppression? That is the Arabic definition. In this case, there have been a lot of calls on the pro-Palestinian side for globalizing the Antifada, which basically mm. they say is a call for a global movement in support for a Palestinian uprising against the Israeli authority. That is also very important to note. Okay. But because in this very complex situation, it is hard to specify one individual or one group's intentions. Many Jewish groups and allies view the term and the actions Antifada as a rallying cry to harm Jews. So, Students on campuses have been protesting, chanting about Intifada. So Elise Stefanik pressed these presidents about this, and Elise used the words calling this a call for the genocide of Jews. And she was asking if this call for Intifada, in her words, genocide against Jews, was against the school's code of conduct. The answers of these school presidents was a bit cringy, in my mm. opinion. Harvard's <laughs> President Claudine Gay said, and this was kind of how they all responded, said, it is at odds with the value of Harvard, 
but we embrace commit our commitment to free expression, even when the views, even of views that are objectionable, offensive, and hateful. And she mm. said that when speech crosses into conduct, then it does violate Harvard's policies against bullying and harassment, and action is then taken against the students. The other presidents had similarly like walk the line answers. So this hearing is uniting so some stupid, Democrats, man. uniting some Democrats like Jake Auchincloss and Seth Moulton with Republicans like Elise Stefanik, another person very outspoken about this was California's Kevin Kiley, a young representative in his first term, around mm. the president's answers. And look, this is like a lot. It's a lot. And just it's a lot. You know, like there's, I think, students from all backgrounds feel scared and nervous. And, you know, there was one Jewish student I saw interviewed at Harvard who said, well, the president of Harvard has a bodyguard walking around with her. We as Jewish students do not. Then there was mm. a you know, another student who was saying that it is not the job of a university to oppress students' free speech. And so anyway, it goes on and on and on. So I think that these administrators are basically trying to, like, cover their bases and speak in these kind of vague terms so that, A, they don't get pushed from students in a way that feels indefensible, but also so that they don't get pushed from donors and the general public in a way that feels indefensible. And I but I think I don't know. I feel like it's not a great look. I think Elise Stefanik did a very good job questioning them. I think it was a moment, a good moment for her. And it just it's just hard. I mean, it's just hard. I feel very strongly that like this is pathetic. OK, I I'm think that if like feeling. someone is calling for if they are indeed calling for the genocide of Jews or if they feel like there is hate speech against any group like that and a university, especially, by the way, a private university, mm -hmm. then they should be punished. So, so can I not stand up in the middle of class and say something against any race? Right. Well, technically Basically you could unless you it could. then turned into something, you know, if you acted on it. So they, you know? this is what I love. I'm like, these are the best lawyers that these schools can afford. Harvard Endowment, $53 billion. University of Penn, $23 billion. MIT, $20 billion. You tell me the best lawyers that you guys can afford are preparing you for a Senate hearing and these are your answers to questions? Yeah. Like, what? That's a great point. What do you think they're but I Am honestly, I taking crazy like, my, pills? No, totally. You're <laughs> totally right. But like, what do you think? I don't know. Like, what is the what's the logic behind it? Like, that's what I'm trying to figure out, right? Because I think that they all agree that this is hate speech. But what we say in America is that hate speech is protected until it turns. So, so I, and I'm not I, I honestly am just like, I don't know what they're trying to say. Yeah. in these responses kind of t taking feelings about the conflict itself aside for a second like i just don't i just don't understand like i don't understand i i, th goals. I have a theory i have a theory on this and you know the interesting thing to watch with regard to these elite colleges and and this whole sort of rising debate going on is watching the big vocal donors. Specifically, hmm. there's a guy, Bill Mark Ackerman. Cowan. Oh, um, okay. oh, who the guy who runs Apollo Capital, which uh -huh. is one of the leading, you know, private equity companies. 
and he's a big UPenn donor, and he donated like $50 million last year. And he wrote this scathing op-ed to the president saying, every single one of my fellow donors are going to donate $1 next year to show that the stuff that you are condoning and allowing on your campus is unacceptable. And I think that to to your sort of broader question, Anna, and and I think your rightful frustration about what we're seeing here is that I feel like it is absolutely a lack of leadership. There's no other way to describe it because these people are in these positions now that are so magnified with social media that one person who feels like they are offended or insulted or somebody said something to them that isn't right. They have this enormous power to galvanize movement and action behind them, however right or wrong, sometimes right, sometimes wrong. And I think that these universities are so afraid of their student body. And the idea of discipline at universities has completely gone out the window, that Mm -hmm. there should be a zero tolerance for this kind of hate speech, this kind of rhetoric, and yet somehow they're they're too afraid to discipline someone who's on one side of this very polarizing issue. And by the way, I think nobody expected how divisive this was going to be, and, and particularly among Gen Z and, and, mm-hmm. and particularly among the Democratic Party. And so I chalk this up and chalk is I don't mean to be flippant that way. I mean, I. I call this just an absolute utter failure of leadership from these university presidents. And I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I'd fire all of them. If I was on the board, I'd fire them and I'd get somebody in there who's going they to- They are screwed. Right actually, now. yeah. And they are screwed. Yeah. I, I, I think the issue though is like, you have to come out and say, this was not right. This mm. was wrong. That should have been the start of your, but being like, right. our policy allows for this. Right. And- you know, let's put ourselves in the, the university president's shoes. Okay, the kids have a protest, the students have a protest on campus. You think it's bad. What do you do? You send in your security guards, your DPS, like, and then <laughs> Great those USC people, reference. right? And, and yeah. those, I'm not saying they're the best equipped to do it. Then you have a flip, then you have a nightmare on your hand because someone- right. Well, I think you, ca- I you think know, that once you like mobilize or, against the mo- protest, then it becomes- yeah. problematic, but right? Coming out and saying, hey, this is a very sensitive time. We are completely against this. And by the way, students who are going to be involved in this are going to be put on some sort of, you know, admissions trial, whatnot. Great. Come after me, student. Try and mm-hmm. take down $50 billion endowment. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah. But at least come out with some leadership and say, this is not right. Well, I also I mean, and look, this is coming from a place of just like my own feelings and not understanding what I'm sure is a very difficult task of running a massive university. But like, it's not that hard. So just get put me in coach. It feels a little bit like there's there's kind of moments where it's like, okay, kids are protesting. They're saying like, let's just view this in a different issue that's more domestic. Like if this was an anti-gay rally on campus, right? I personally feel like, okay, if some students want to go out and protest gay marriage or protest gay adoption, they can go say, we don't believe that gay couples should be adopting children, right? But I think the moment that it becomes, 
we don't think gay couples should be adopting children because they are, you know, because they they are violent or they are yeah they shouldn't be alive. They we don't want to be perpetuating like you know the gay whatever. To me, that's the line. Is like you can come out and say we believe that there should be rights for Palestinians. We, we, I think you should 100% be able to say we believe that there should be a ceasefire. We are protesting against, you know, the Israeli government. But I think the moment that you start to use terms that can be skewed like intifada or terms that are really far reaching and really hard to kind of get behind like genocide, like basically saying like we call for genocide. I just think that these are now, whether you're talking about genocide of the Palestinian people or whether you're talking about people think you're talking about genocide of the Jewish people, it just feels like once you get into those kind of terms, that's when a university has, I believe, a responsibility to step in and talk to the leaders of that group. You know, I I personally think that getting like campus police involved or anything like that is a mistake. I think that this is a university of these are all universities of very intelligent students. And there should be, especially in this moment in time, there should be administrators that are speaking to the leaders of all of these groups and coming up with guidelines around how to handle this. Because I think that like to just say there's sort of one blanket university policy is fine but we live in a world of circumstances and this circumstance is incredibly different than a lot of the other circumstances that especially like current college students have ever found themselves in. And I just feel like if you're the president of a university, you can, you know, repeat your code of conduct as much as you want and you can use these vague terms as much as you want. But I think you have to acknowledge the specificity of this moment that we are in and talk about how you want to constructively handle it and not like pull back and say, this is free speech. I mean, it's, I feel the same way when Republicans say this is free speech. I feel I'm the sorry, same way when could, Democrats, it's like yeah, free no. speech is free speech is great. But when you're in a circumstance, a specific, also while you're at a private university, like you, you can do what you need to do. Code of, yeah. Code of conduct. Code of conduct is bullshit. It is a hundred page document that basically universities can use anything in there to basically get you in trouble for something so you're not in trouble for something apparently or not but there's something you can't get a student in trouble for i know because i had to read usc's one time when i got in trouble for alcohol and i went through that (laughs) code of conduct (laughs) book and i read it was the fastest hundred page book i've ever read (laughs) and ladies and gentlemen here he is hosting a happy hour um at ucla they just arrested me for for having alcohol so wow usc they obviously were a little bit public university first of all i will just say these two (laughs) things you guys need to be better criminals a and b i definitely have to be better criminal i I got off by the way I got. I off. was Good such lawyer. a bad criminal. Let me tell you, like I, yeah. oh man, I could have used some lessons for sure. All right, Michael. Well, it's wild. It's wild what we're seeing there. And again, I'll, I'll. I know I sound like a broken record, but I, I do still vehemently believe that so much of the rhetoric stems from leadership and leadership of our elected officials, who I have been disappointed in on, on those who have a platform to really lead the conversation as far as the the folks fighting for the people of Palestine and and their rights and and et cetera. And 
you know, I, again, I think that that if really great leadership is seen, it will disseminate into these school populations in a way that I don't think we've seen yet. So, all right, let's move on to a cheery topic like Ukraine. Hey, Ukraine, guys! They're gonna run out of money. Great, this is not looking good. No, it's gonna be great. This is not gonna be cheery. So, I'm gonna give a quote that sounds like it has nothing to do with Ukraine, and then I'm gonna tie it all back. While our immigration system faces many challenges, one of the clearest and easiest to fix problems is the fact that immigration judges lack contempt, contempt. Excuse me, lack contempt authority. I'm sorry. Yeah. Is contempt um, authority? I don't know what that is. Like Anthony being held in contempt. Anthony, do you know what contempt authority is? Is it being held in con- contempt? I don't like him. That's making me uh, think of movies. Hold myself in contempt. I hold liar, you liar. in contempt. Yeah. Um, um, is this a Republican? It's a Republican. Uh, this is too confusing. This is more confusing than a tomato. Toy. No, but who's been a Ukraine? Mike Gallagher. Anti-Ukraine? Yeah, Mike Gallagher. Oh, yeah, this good guy. Job. Yes. This guy. <laughs> I mean. Michael always I mean, does like a hard one and then we get it. <laughs> yeah. So basically, basically like Foreign if policy. you are, if you are disobedient of the court. Okay. Yes. You are held in contempt. We you are that. held okay. in contempt. Yeah. So yeah. these uh, apparently, the apparently this court is out of order. Yeah. Apparently these, these immigration <laughs> judges lack the ability to enforce uh, a lot of why is Anthony know, laughing the the backlog and and whatnot that's going on here and and also no shows and and all this but okay. this is really I'm, I'm bringing this tweet up to broaden out the conversation to ukraine and so as of time of recording here wednesday the senate just struck down mostly senate republicans all but two struck down a bill that would fund Ukraine and Israel with military aid. Sorry, uh, is this tune- because we need two-thirds of the Senate in order to pass this? Correct. We needed okay. a 60-vote majority. Yeah. And Bernie Sanders voted against this, who's an independent, usually votes with Republicans, or excuse me, Democrats. And then at the end, when it was looking like a 50-50, Chuck Schumer voted with Republicans, which allows him to bring this bill back to the floor. So it was some it, it was some procedural thing that made him. But he's been leading the charge on this. So the whole thing is that they Senate Republicans voted down this bill, which would have which would have seen an a billion dollars of military aid sent to Ukraine and Israel. And Republicans held ranks because. They wanted this spending package to include changes to major changes to our immigration policy, which Democrats said we will do in a separate bill. We need to get this Ukraine funding out there because it's dire. And so for for a while now, they have been they have been sounding the alarm for just this dwindling military supply and aid in Ukraine right now as we head into the winter as Russia is is starting to make some some new gains. So I have a question for you guys, but I want to read you this quote that I think is really interesting. So a former advisor to President Zelensky, a guy named Igor Novikov, who was on Nicole Wallace's show, 
and this was about a month ago. He said, World War III has already started. The war and what's at stake is now really the American people. It has started already, and the war is really against the U.S. and democracy. And so if the U.S. keeps letting itself get this divided, then they're going to lose the war without ever firing a single shot. And I thought that was a fascinating, fascinating and very startling quote. And so my question to you is, why would why wouldn't Republicans and the Senate pass this Ukraine and Israel bill and then bring up a separate immigration bill to then let the Democrats politically hang themselves with? Right. And so. Obviously, Mike Gallagher is chiming in being like, hey, there are little fixes we can do that can have meaningful impact. And he's right. But from a political standpoint, as we're heading into this contentious year, why wouldn't we do two things at once? Why wouldn't we pass this and then bring a bill and say and run on it and vote every Democrat out who failed to do what Republicans would classify as adequate immigration? reform. I mean, the Ukraine thing is interesting to me because I do think that what the calculation is for Republicans is that they feel like there's still the kind of, quote, America first, you know, whatever rhetoric around and feel that Ukraine is not fitting into that. But I want to what struck me about what this is. is, This is an Israel. Israel, too. too. Right. It it doesn't make sense. But there's obviously. But what something that you said that I think is more important than this, frankly, is like this idea of World War Three and yeah. the way that I take that is it's basically democracies against Russia and I and I, Iran. Mm-hmm. Like if we yeah. look at kind of the situations happening and unfolding right now, those are the similarities, right, is you have Russia and Iran, both of which are authoritarian states, which are you know, Iran by funding terrorist groups, Russia by trying to sort of assert its power and dominance over a region militarily. And then you have democracies trying to figure out how to, you know, walk and chew gum at the same time and say, okay, we're going to defend democracy, but also we, you know, it's like the United States got not getting into World War II until the end. Right. It's like right. we see the bad thing happening, but it's really hard to justify when we're dealing with our own shit. It's kind of a similar thing. I mean, I'm not a historian, so don't quote me on that. But like in my no. layman's view, it's kind of a similar thing. And so I just feel like Republicans, because we are divided, like that guy said, Republicans are taking a very or at least these Republicans who voted against it are taking a very stark line and saying no like we're not we're not getting involved we're not getting involved yes we are pro pro israel we want to see a drop in anti-semitism but we are not getting involved because and frankly i think this is really smart politically not this particular move as you're talking about but like most people just want to pay less for milk and i i know that in my mind Giving Ukraine money means that in 20 years we will have milk and we won't be, you know, starving in an authoritarian state. But like a lot of people don't have the luxury of thinking about milk in 20 years. They're just thinking about milk tomorrow. And so I think that that is the political calculation is like 
the Republicans' messaging on election year is going to be about domestic policy and how to make people feel better because people feel really bad. And I think that that is what is behind this sentiment, however logical it is or not. Well, I would I would say that for my money, we are not yet messaging and and or, or we have been. I feel like we have a little now message fatigue of just beating the drum of why this fight in Ukraine is important. And it's kind of similar to what I led with with regard to Liz Cheney and democracy, right? This idea that if Donald Trump is reelected, he's not going to leave office. We saw that, right? And so if it, it's the same principles that apply here, if Putin takes Kiev, he's in, in Ukraine, he's not going to stop there. Why? Because he did it in Crimea, he's done it elsewhere, and he has said this is what he wants to do. And so this is what I find so amazing and, and kind of ironic in the similarities here, that the party that is opposing this, that is supposedly the party for you know military and freedom and law and order, is, is in a way kind of giving into these same forces domestically because – the reality is that Ukraine, while it seems like it doesn't matter, while it seems like it's so far away, and every time you know somebody brings up, well, that's one hundred and eleven billion dollars we could be using in America right here. You know, this is the challenge of governing. And this is the challenge of and the privilege when you are the most important and, and most powerful country in the world, right? With that comes great responsibility. You have to walk and chew gum at the same time, mm -hmm. and you have to do both hard things. You can't just do one. You have to do both. And if you don't want to do that, then you don't get to be the most powerful country in the world. And it, it's just it's that binary, you know. This because, is going to get really bad. Yeah. All yeah, over the holidays because that's listen, when Russia is going to attack Ukraine, and we're going to be right. giving up aid. Right. So here we go. Yeah. Everyone and, and the options, else. the options are this. We can cede that to Russia and let China take their dominance. And all of a sudden, the U.S. is no longer the, the world leader. It's China and Russia, you know. Well, time for a refill, gang. <laughs> this refill Mr. is brought to you uh, by Tomato. Yeah. No, it's brought to you uh, Pauly, by Mr. Pauly. Tomato. It's brought to you by I mean, Mr. Tomato. Wow. Well. We proceeded to take it progressively downhill. I'm going to, we're having tacos for dinner and you better believe I'm going to have some tomato salsa. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say tequila, but. Cool. Guys, th th this isn't going to be a problem when I marry the tomato tycoon's <laughs> granddaughter. So don't, don't worry. It won't yeah. affect us. It's just going to affect the rest of America. We're yeah. going to have tomatoes for life. Life. <laughs>